0: that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. I wonder if you can remember your first job. Uh, Jerry, I, Jerry Alvey and I were talking here a few moments ago before uh, services were canceled, and Jerry, one of his first jobs was driving the ice cream truck. So you, you hear the bells ringing in town, and the kids get all excited. Oh, the ice cream man's in town. That was Jerry Alvey delivering ice cream to your kids. Uh, my wife, I think her first job, correct me if I'm wrong here, Mary, because Mary's here with us. Obviously, she was just singing. Uh, was the bank teller at NBSC. So uh, was a bank teller in South Carolina. Uh, my son, my oldest son, his first job was working at Hot Lakes Guitar over there in Waldorf. My daughter, uh, some of you know this, but my daughter, she was the cow at Chick-fil-A. Uh, so it's not, not a slam on my daughter. She, you know, She's the one that wore the cow outfit, right? And so she was the cow at Chick-fil-A. My first job, I remember this well. I was a busboy for a Shoney's restaurant. Now, there aren't any Shoney's up here in Maryland. I think the closest one is across the river in Tappahannock, um, to us, but I was, I was a busboy at Shoney's. Shoney's, if, if you don't know Shoney's, it's about the, the dining atmosphere of a Denny's, okay, and so it, this, this is not fine dining with linen tablecloths by any stretch of the imagination, uh, and so my job as a busboy working for minimum wage back in the dark, I think it was about three dollars an hour was minimum wage uh, back then, uh, my job was to clean up filth uh, basically, that, that's, if you wanted to put it in a sentence, that, that was my job description. Clean-up fil- filth left on the plate, filth left on the table, on the floor, unmentionable filth in the bathrooms. My job was to clean that mess up. And even though the work was, at times, I can't say it any other way, quite frankly, it was disgusting, uh, there was something quite satisfying about the work. Because I knew what I was supposed to do. If there was a mess, my job was to clean it up. It was, it was really that simple. There's a mess, clean it up. I, I didn't have to know how to run the cash register. I didn't have to take any food orders. I didn't have to uh, cook the food or, or make sure the salad bar was appropriately stocked. My job was, there's a mess. Those, those customers have just left. Clean that table and prepare it for the next customers. I knew what I was supposed to do, and I did it. Well, our passage today in, in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to see that as Christians, we also we have a job description of sorts. We have things that we're supposed to do. And while our job description isn't as simple, perhaps, as there's a mess, clean it up. Nevertheless, it is something we can do. And so I hope you're in Matthew's Gospel. And so without any further ado, let's read. Uh, You follow along with me as I read from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction and when he saw the crowds they had compassion or excuse me he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word that you've given us. And we know, Father, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And even though we cross the medium of the internet in order for uh, the, the vast majority of our congregation to, to hear this message, Lord, we know that your word is living and active even across these different media. And so, Father, we pray now that as we listen to your word, that we would put distractions aside, whether we have a sink full of dishes uh, that are waiting on us or a carpet that's waiting to be vacuumed, whatever the case may be, Father, that we would put those distractions aside as we sit at home or wherever we're at and that we would allow allow your word to speak to us and so use now your word to mold us and shape us ever more into the image of Christ. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. And so if you're a note taker uh, at home, I have a central idea for today's message as I always do and that here's the message. We've been called to join God in his great work of drawing people to himself. So we've been called to join God in his great work of joining of of God drawing people unto himself. And so I I have four points that I'm going to make. All four of these points today are going to come in the form of a question. And these questions, are, I hope, are designed to um, challenge us where we're at right now and to hopefully move us forward in our walk with Christ. And so the first question for us today is this. Are we compelled to bring the message of Christ to other people? Are we compelled to bring the message of Christ to other people? Or, or I might say this another way, do we feel compelled? Is there, is, that, is there that inner unction, if you will, within us to want to bring the message of Christ to other people? Matthew begins this passage in verse 35 with these words, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now let me give you, since, since we're just kind of parachuting here into Matthew chapter 9, let me give you a little bit of the, of the context of what's surrounding Matthew chapter 9. In, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, there's a great crowd that's been drawn to Jesus, and Jesus sees the large crowd, he sits down, as was the custom for a teacher in the day, he would sit down and he delivers what is arguably his most famous sermon ever. It was we called the Sermon on the Mount. Pastor Associate Pastor Brian preached on that. Last, I think it was just last year. Um, did did a series through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And when he finished with that sermon. We, we, it wasn't like, okay, now he went away to, a, to the green room and spent some time by himself. No, 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 that's not what happened. He, he came down the mountain, and, and, and Matthew chapter 8 tells us that the great crowd followed Jesus down the mountain. And then through the, throughout the rest of chapter 8 and into chapter 9, we learn these things about Jesus. Jesus, he heals a leper. He heals a paralyzed servant of a centurion. He heals Peter's mother-in-law along with many others. He offers a stern warning to those who are wanting to follow Him. He says, listen, you need to examine carefully the cost of actually following Me. He calms the storm at sea. He heals two more men who are demon-possessed. He heals another paralytic. He calls Matthew to follow after Him. Then He's questioned about why, why aren't his disciples fasting like the Pharisees' disciples fast and like John the Baptist's disciples are fasting. He raises a girl from the dead. He heals a woman who's been suffering from um, a hemorrhage of blood for 12 years. He heals two more blind men, and then he heals a man who's been unable to speak. Now, we don't know the exact timeline of all of these events that are happening in chapters 8 and 9. They could have happened over the course of just a few days or weeks or perhaps even in just a couple of months. But my point in rehearsing this with you is that Jesus was regularly with people. You might even say that He was compelled to be with people. That's why He came. And so after all of these other things, Matthew tells us in verse 35 that Jesus does three very distinct things. Three very distinct things. Matthew tells us that Jesus was teaching, he was proclaiming, and He was healing. He was teaching, proclaiming, and healing. In other words, He was addressing the whole person. Now let me, let me explain what I mean by that. You see, as he, as he taught, He addressed the mind. And as He proclaimed, or as He preached, He addressed the soul. And as He healed, He addressed the body, the physical body. His ministry was a fully orbed ministry. That is to say, his ministry, it wasn't a one-dimensional type of ministry. He ministered to the whole person. Each aspect of his ministry was important. It was important for him to teach. It was important for him to proclaim. It was important for him to heal. Each aspect was important, but that's not to say that each aspect was equally important. In other words, there were some aspects that were more important than others. that, That... they, they aren't all weighted the same, if you will. Later in Matthew's Gospel, uh, we won't read that today, but in, in chapter 16, Jesus Himself argues that the soul-ish aspect of His ministry is the most important. You know, He says, For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? In other words, what good is it What good is it if we have a nice house to sleep in, we have a nice car to drive, we have a good job to go to, we're we're well fed and we have clothes on our back. What good is all of that if we die and we go straight to hell? Is that house going to save you in hell? Is the car going to save you? Is a full belly going to save you? No, they're not going to save you. And so he says, what good is it if you have all those things, but the soul is rotten, if you will. But at the same time, and so we have, we have to hold these truths together. At the same time, mercy ministry is also important. Now you might say, well, what, what, is, what is mercy ministry? What, is, what does that mean? Mer- mercy ministry would be things like finding shelter for a homeless person or feeding somebody who's hungry, doesn't have enough to eat or providing clothing for the poor. You see, when we do those, those things are important because when we do those things, these mercy ministries, they sometimes actually open the door for us to actually be able to have that soulish type of conversation with other people. And when we don't do that, you know, you know, maybe we're well intentioned, we 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 really we really do care about the person and we're well intentioned and we want to have that soulish conversation with them, but because we don't meet those physical needs, because the person's hungry and without a place to sleep, they don't hear the soulish conversation happening. They're they're so concerned about their physical needs that they can't understand the spiritual needs that they have. And so the teaching, the proclaiming, and the healing, they're all important. And they all should be done with the same thrust to point people in the direction of Jesus. And so let me ask you this question. Are you perhaps somebody here as we begin 2021, maybe you've made some New Year's resolutions or goals, Uh, for 2021 maybe you're someone you're somewhat stagnant in your faith maybe you were saved years ago but even by your own admission you look yourself in the mirror and you're honest with yourself and you say listen i'm still just a spiritual child i'm a spiritual infant could it be maybe that what you need more than anything right now what you need is to submit yourself to some teaching could it be that maybe what you need to do right now is do some learning you see, many Christians, they remain lifelong spiritual infants because we think, we think that, well, that, that should just automatically happen. You know, we, we should just grow automatically in our faith. But beloved, that never happens. Growth in faith never just happens. It takes work. It takes effort. Here, here today, we're three days into the new year. Do you know what the number one New Year's resolution is every year? every year here in the United States of America, the number one resolution is I want to lose weight. That, that's the number one, but it rarely happens. If, I mean, if it happened every year, then you're right there, pretty soon it wouldn't be a New Year's resolution. It rarely happens because first, it's hard to lose weight. It, it is, it's hard. We have a lot of bad habits that we've learned and we have to unlearn if we want to lose weight. And second, we don't lose weight because sometimes we just expect it. Well, I just expect it to, to just happen. It doesn't just happen. It takes work. It takes hard work. It takes discipline. Are we compelled to bring the message of Christ to other people? That takes hard work. It takes discipline. Let me suggest a few ways. A few ways that we can make progress along along these lines of bringing the message of Christ to others. Are we perhaps are we willing perhaps to binge watch maybe one less episode of our favorite show on Netflix? Or for those of you, maybe some of you, Netflix is not a problem. Maybe you pull out your smartphone though and maybe just one less level of whatever game it is you like to play on your smartphone. You you need to say, you know what? I'm going to forego that game. Or Or, for some of you, you may you're you're constantly checking your social media, whatever social media platform that is, you just you just have to know what's happening on social media every hour. Are you willing maybe say I'm not saying all those things are bad. I'm not saying close your social media and get rid of the games and 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 cancel your Netflix subscription if you want to do that those are th- there's nothing wrong with those, but perhaps a little moderation in those things, and then to say, in the time that I save. I'm going to to devote myself to more study of the Word of God. I'm going to devote myself to study the Word of God so that number one, that I might grow in my own faith, so that I might mature in my faith. But number two, I'm going to study the Word of God because I believe strongly that God is going to put somebody in my life that I need to be able to pour into. And let me tell you a little secret. If you're an empty vessel, you're not going to be able to pour into anybody else. You have to have something in you if you're going to be able to pour into somebody else. And so maybe you need to devote yourself a little more time to study, to reading here in 2021 so that you can pour into others. Here's some other ways that maybe we can uh, make progress in, 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 in bringing the message of Christ to other people. Maybe for you in 2021, it's going to mean instead of planning that elaborate vacation, whatever family... And again, family vacations are fine. It's a wonderful thing to do. But instead of saying, you know, I'm going to take all my vacation time and I'm going to use it so that my family can take it, I'm I'm going to set aside a week of my family vacation time so I can go on a mission trip to an unreached place in this world to bring the gospel to people who have never heard it. Or maybe you say... You know, we're still in the midst of a pandemic, and we don't know when that's going to end. And so you're thinking that's a little bit unrealistic. Well, how, how, here's an idea. You don't even need a passport for this. How about you devote a couple of hours each week to deliver meals to elderly residents here in Charles County through Meals on Wheels or some similar? If you want to know more, you talk to Lewis Knight about that when you're here next Sunday. They're always looking for drivers to be able to to to, to bring uh, these meals to elderly residence. Or you say, I don't have car, I don't have transportation. Can you get to the church? We have a food pantry. It's right over here to my my right. You can't see it right now, but it's right behind that curtain. We have a food pantry where we help people. And praise God we have wonderful church members who are regularly serving in that ministry, but I'm sure they would love help as well in that ministry. My point is we need to minister to the whole person. This teaching and this proclaiming this healing they don't just happen they happen because Christians like us we are radically compelled to minister to people in the name of Christ they happen because we want to join God in his work of drawing other people to himself so are you compelled to do your part in that process question number two do we see the essential humanity in other people? Do we see the essential humanity in other people? If you've listened to even more than just a few of my sermons, you, you've heard me say this before and just you'll hear me say this again. Every human being on this planet is created in the image of God. From the moment of our conception until our natural death, we are divine image bearers. We all are. That means that every human being on this planet, we have dignity and we have worth. And it doesn't matter what you call that human being. It doesn't matter if you call the human being using terms like fetal tissue or an illegal immigrant. Now, those terms may have some descriptive value about talking about you know where that human being is. So the the fetus is in the mother's womb or the illegal immigrant that has some descriptive value and it describes that the person is um, it, their immigration status into a, any particular country. But those terms don't describe who the human being is. You see, an illegal immigrant is a man or a woman who's been created in the image of God. And a fetus is a baby whose residence right now is in a, in, a, in his his or her mother's womb but it's a human being this is what i mean when when i say do we understand the essential humanity in other people the essential humanity is their status as divine image bearers if we don't get this point right everything else i'm saying today just falls apart the essential humanity is, is that we acknowledge and we see in that individual their dignity and their worth. Jesus saw the crowds. And notice this. Look with me there in your text in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Notice these or You might even want to underline them in your Bible. Jesus sees them and He has compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now what does jesus what does excuse me what does Matthew mean when he tells us that Jesus had compassion on them what is what is that type of what does that compassion look like well compassion is identifying with a hurting individual that's what compassion is it's identifying with a hurting individual we see someone who's been created in the image of God we see them as a fellow image bearer and we identify them and and we're and then we're willing to act on their behalf, because we have compassion on them. Jesus had compassion on the crowds because they were harassed and helpless. You see these people in the crowds that were coming to Jesus, they were the societal rejects. They weren't the ones for whom all the societal structures were just you know falling right into place. They were harassed. they were helpless. And Jesus had compassion on them. He identified with them. He saw in them their essential humanity. How about us, beloved? How are we doing in that department? Do we have compassion on those who are hurting? Do we genuinely care for them? when, When someone from an Underrepresented demographic feels that her voice is not being heard. Is our first instinct to come up with blame shift and come, up, well, well, it's not my fault. It's this, person, it's this person. Is is that our first instinct, or is our first instinct to have compassion and say, "I want to hear you. I, do, I I have compassion for you. I want I want to understand where you're coming from." When we see a homeless man, is our first instinct to judge them? And to think of all of the reasons, at least in our mind, all of the reasons, the things that they probably did that put them in that homeless situation. Or do we have compassion on them? When the unwed teenage mother shows up at church, do we cast a disparaging eye toward her for her obvious sexual immorality? Or do we have compassion for her? Now, listen, beloved, I'm not saying that we don't need to speak the truth sometimes. We, we do need to speak the truth. The truth, the scripture tells us the, the truth will set us free. But I am saying that when we speak the truth, we need to speak it with compassion. We need to understand the essential humanity in others. Question number three Do we recognize the work of God among other people? Do we recognize the work of God among other people? In verse 37, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says this. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Whatever you've thought about that phrase there. You know, the disciples, they'd been with Jesus. They had seen everything that he was doing, all the wonderful things that he was doing, all the healings that he would do, all the teaching, all the proclaiming. They had been right there with Jesus every step of the way. But they weren't the ones doing the work. Jesus was the one doing all the work. It's not until chapter 10 to the passage immediately after what I'm preaching today. In chapter 10, it's not until then when Jesus actually sends the disciples out to do the work themselves. You can read chapter 10. When I'm done preaching here, you just continue reading chapter 10. I think it'll be helpful. It'll be beneficial for you to see what's happening there. But here at the end of chapter 9, before he sends them out in chapter 10, he tells his disciples that the harvest is already plentiful. That got me to thinking, how can there already be a harvest if they haven't been out in the field working yet? You know, I'm not a farmer, but I'm pretty sure that you have to go out and work in the field before harvest time, right? You don't just wait and show up in the field and then all of a sudden it's harvest time. So how is there a harvest when they haven't been out in the field working? But here's the answer. There's already a harvest because God has already been at work. God has already been at work, friends. Perhaps one of the best-selling Christian discipleship resources of all time is a workbook uh, called Experiencing God. Um, If you've been a Christian for any number of years, particularly in Southern Baptist circles, you've heard of Experiencing God. It was written by a man named Henry Blackaby. My wife and I had the uh, privilege of serving uh, with his daughter while we were missionaries in Germany. Uh, one of the most memorable points, I think, in Blackaby's Experiencing God curriculum is this. He has this idea, he says, that, that we're to find out where God is already at work and join him there. Now, Blackaby, he gets that idea from John's Gospel, from John chapter 5. And you needn't turn there. I'm going to read this. This is John chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. He says, but Jesus answered them and said, my father is working until now and I am working. This is why and then, and it's kind of a parent, parenthetical uh, kind of an aside statement. He says John says this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the sabbath but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so for those of you that're you know, was Jesus really God? Well, you know, the people that were listening to him speak live, they said, yeah, um, Jesus is calling himself God. So a parenthetical aside, picking up in verse 19 though. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does. Likewise, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he is, he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Now, my point in reading that scripture or sharing this story about experiencing God is, is not necessary to, to, uh, to recommend the experiencing God curriculum to you, although if you want to do it, that's perfectly fine. Uh, nor is my point this morning to say, well, this is how we ascertain where God is already at work. My point is simply to say this, as the scripture says, that God is already at work. You know sometimes we act as if, you know, now that we're here. You know, the Calvary has arrived. Now that we're here, we're the most important people. Now that we're here, we can get together and we can get God's work done. It's a bit presumptuous, don't you think? That Oh, oh, now that we're here, we can get it done. God is already at work. We only need eyes to see where He's at work. One of my prayers that I pray, and admittedly I don't pray this as often as I should, but I pray it nevertheless, is I ask God, I say, God, give me spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to see and to hear where you're already at work all around me. So that if you will, I'm not walking spiritually blind throughout the world. Maybe he's already at work, for example, in in the greeting of a complete stranger at the grocery store. If you know, that stranger says something to you that just all of a sudden it sparks a spiritual conversation and you weren't planning on spending 10 extra minutes in the grocery store, but because God's already at work and you saw where he's at work, you joined him there and you had a spiritual conversation with that stranger at the grocery store. Or maybe, maybe God's already at work in that mood swing of your teenage child. If, you, if you've ever had a teenager, you know that teenage children sometimes they have mood swings, Right? We we all do from time to time, but it seems to be particularly prevalent among teenagers. Well, maybe maybe that mood swing is God showing us as parents that God is doing a work in that teenage child. And are are we willing then to join him there in that work? Or maybe God's at work in that Sunday morning sermon. You know, the preacher is saying something and and for for whatever reason even if you're in church where there are many people you know right now you're saying well he's only speaking to me and you're the only one at home well well guess what there are a lot of people watching online but you know you're in church and there's dozens of people around you and you think i feel like he's only talking to me i can't tell you how many times i've had people tell me that i I felt like you were just like the sermon was about me and my answer every time is praise god because that's not me I'm i'm not i'm not that smart I'm not even. I, I have no idea how that happens, other than God is at work, and praise God for that. He's at work all around us. We need only have eyes and ears to see and hear. And so Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. In fact, it's so plentiful, it's so plentiful that Jesus tells us that we need to ask God for more workers to come into the harvest. Which brings me to my fourth and final question this morning. Do we understand our role in the harvest? In God's harvest? Do we understand our role in God's harvest? Mary read for you earlier that passage from Ezekiel's uh prophecy in the Old Testament. It's familiar to many of us. Uh this valley of dry bones and and the Lord God asked Ezekiel, you know, Ezekiel, can those dry bones can they live? And his answer was Oh Lord, You know. You know. You see, Ezekiel understood that he in himself, he had no authority, he had no power to make those bones live. But God did. Because it's always God's harvest. And so notice this. Underline it if you must in your Bible. It is His harvest. The harvest that we're called to work in, it's not our harvest harvest we don't receive any glory for his harvest it's not my harvest i don't receive any glory it's his harvest and so our job my job your job is to work in his harvest and so what does that look like what does it look like for us to work in his harvest i believe our text gives us two things are two ideas, two hints of what it looks like to work in God's harvest. The first one of these is quite explicitly in our text, and we see that we're to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into the harvest. Beloved, this is fervent prayer. This is gospel prayer. This isn't a prayer for Aunt Sue's kidney dialysis. As important as it is to pray for Aunt Sue, this is more important So we are called to earnestly pray to God that He might raise up more men, more more women, more boys and girls who will unashamedly join Him in His harvest work. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that we just automatically start praying for more pastors and missionaries. As important, I, I hope we do pray for more pastors and more missionaries. Those are fine things to pray for. But listen, God also wants Christian school teachers. We need more Christian doctors. We need more Christian firemen. We need more Christian construction workers. We need more Christian businessmen and women. We need more Christian politicians. We need more Christian homemakers. Do you get my drift? We need more people who take following Jesus seriously. Working in all types of work. And as those individuals, as they rub shoulders with others, with their coworkers, with their clients, with their families, they're able to reap some of the harvest that God has already prepared. And so first, we pray earnestly for more workers in the harvest. But what does that, again, what does that harvest work look like? I think there's a second hint in our text. And I think our gospel gospel harvest work is going to look a lot like what Jesus did in his gospel harvest work. I think Jesus was modeling for us. So in other words, gospel harvest work for us is also a teaching work. Gospel harvest work for us is also a proclamation work. And gospel harvest work for us is also a healing work. In other words... It's a ministry, our Gospel Harvest work, it's a ministry to the whole person. It's recognize the person in their essential humanity in speaking to the whole person. And so sometimes Gospel Harvest work will look like teaching a Sunday school class or a weeknight growth group. Sometimes Gospel Harvest work will look like preaching preaching a Gospel sermon or going on a Gospel mission trip or even becoming perhaps a full-time missionary to an unreached people group. And at other times, gospel harvest work will look like putting up a homeless man in your own home or or in a hotel for the night and feeding him a warm meal in the name of Christ. Because as we do these things, we, we recognize, listen, listen, we recognize it's not because we're such smooth talkers that a person is drawn to God. It's not because we're so generous with our resources that a person is drawn to God. People are drawn to God because God is already at work and this is His harvest. He gives us, beloved, He gives us the privilege to work in His harvest. You and I, the work we do, we don't add one Thing to the work that Jesus has already accomplished. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He paid for our sins in total. We don't add anything to that equation. Our work, as D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist, once said, he said, our work is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's our work. And that's what we're doing. It's God's harvest. It's not ours. We're simply pointing people to Jesus. And so my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that 2021 will be full of pointing people to Jesus. Whether it be through preaching, whether it be through teaching, whether it be through ministry to the body, to mercy ministries, whatever it would be, that you and I, and that we as a church would point people to Jesus. Not for our glory. Not so that our name will, be, will receive renown. But so that His name will receive renown. Join with me as we close in prayer. Father in Heaven, Lord, I thank You for this day and I thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. And Lord, I pray that You would help us as Your people help us to be about Your work of pointing people to Christ. Lord, You are already working among us. And so give us spiritual eyes, give us spiritual ears to see where it is that You're at work, that we might join You there. It's Your harvest. You've given us the privilege of being workers in it. Lord, may You receive all the glory that is due Your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.